0: erotica connoisseurs. It's Davina here with something a little different before our regular episode of all the filthy details later this month. Over the past year, Christian Pan has been a driving force in the realm of erotic literature, contributing a wealth of tantalising content, reviews and interviews. Today, we're going to surprise him and present you with our very own Chris Mass. Get ready to dive into the mind of Christian Pan as we explore the inspiration behind his scintillating stories, his creative process, and the secrets to crafting tales that leave an indelible mark on the senses. But that's not all. In celebration of Christian Pan's outstanding contributions, we've prepared a special treat for you. We'll revisit some of his most memorable past interviews throughout the year. So sit back, relax, and prepare to be captivated by the words and wisdom of Christian Pan. This surprise episode is a token of our appreciation for an artist who has shared so much passion with our community. On behalf of the All the Filthy Details team, we would like to say thank you and Merry Christmas. Before we get started, let's kick off with a little erotica. This is written by another Pulse contributor. Pornica Assam and can be found on our Patreon. Fast Track Fuckers is the story of Charlotte embracing an event called Swingles, which mixes speed dating with a try before you buy one night stand. Enjoy.
1: Chapter 1 As I adjusted my dress in front of the mirror, I felt a mix of excitement and nerves. Swingle's exclusive speed-dating event promised a fusion of sexual intimacy, where professionals engage with participants to elevate the experience to a new sexual level. As I stepped into the retreat, I was brimming with anticipation. The dim lights, soft music, and lively conversations created an exclusive atmosphere that had me eagerly anticipating what the night had in store. The event kicked off with a quick introduction and I found myself seated next to my date for the evening. The organizers injected fun into the mix by setting a timer for us, and as I struck up a conversation with my date. I realized it was a unique blend of speed dating and intimacy. Our discussions went beyond the usual small talk, uncovering intriguing stories and quirks about the professionals in attendance. When my date expressed his love for licking pussy, I couldn't help but feel a surge of excitement at the thought of what might unfold later. As I navigated the blend of speed dating and sensuality, the anticipation of a steamy encounter with a stranger had me exhilarated. My arousal was palpable, and I couldn't contain my excitement and lust. To that evening to help the atmosphere, the atmosphere also fostered but I started to think he was a lot more than that. that when he mentioned that there were a lot of things about him I didn't know, I immediately became really intrigued. Now, Lying beside me on the bed with my breasts against his chest and his smooth thigh over my legs, he was the man I'd always wanted to find. My breath caught when he fondled my breast, and a tiny moan escaped my lips. I shivered with pleasure as he stroked my nipple and then pressed his lips to mine. When his tongue sought entry, I eagerly opened my mouth and felt a jolt of excitement as our tongues met. In response, I gently grasped his penis, causing him to pause in pleasuring my tongue and release a moan. He ran his hand down my back to my hips, and I shivered as he slid his hand down my belly until he found my moist, intimate area. It had been a long time since I had been touched like that, but I couldn't recall anyone with such soft fingers and a gentle touch. Instead of immediately stimulating me, He made delicate, feather-soft strokes that were driving me wild, pushed my left breast into his His face, and started riding him. I felt my nipple brush his lips, and when he opened his mouth it slipped in. A first gentle suck caused me to catch my breath and make a little double lurch. He nibbled a little harder, making me moan and slowly push back down until my lips flattened against the base of his cock. His deep strokes inside my pussy and his sucking of my breasts made me feel a tingling sensation running throughout my body. I didn't know if he did it intentionally, but every time he stroked deeply, I could feel him touch my actions in my pussy. I moaned with each powerful stroke as I rocked down on his cock swiftly. I pushed a nipple into his face, and as he eagerly sucked it, I gasped and ground my pussy lips into the base of his cock. I lost track of what happened after that. All I remember is that I rocked my pussy over his cock without really lifting my body. Suddenly he released a little cry and then he gave up, thrusting his cock deeply into me. I felt the warm burst of his ejaculation inside me, and as I was still catching my breath and savoring the moment, he followed up with another two spurts. I continued to revel in the sensation for a few more seconds before slowly stretching out my legs and resting on his chest, with him still inside me. As our heavy breathing subsided, he lifted my head and kissed me. When I pulled away, he nestled his face between my neck and shoulder and whispered, Can we stay like this? He stroked down my back and gently... You're listening to All the Filthy
2: Details.
0: (laughs) We love giving you erotica for free but we acknowledge that our explicit audiobook library belongs behind an age-restricted paywall. Therefore, we have created our unbeatable Patreon offer that allows you to access all of our content for less than the cost of a coffee. Follow the links in the description to start listening today. Hot erotica to look out for.
3: Out in the Night by Eleanor Nix Becca's house is being watched at night by her suspicious neighbour. He's abrasive and captivating. Her life has been chaotic since he arrived with an orphaned kitten. Despite trying to keep her distance, she's plagued by mysterious warnings and seductive dreams. He refuses to let her escape. All links to these books can be found in the description.
0: Let's kick off our special Christmas episode with an interview with Christian before listening to an exclusive Never Heard interview with Jenna Citrus.
2: You're listening to All the
0: Filthy
1: Details.
0: (laughs) Hello, welcome back.
4: Thank you. It's great to be here.
0: As we bring 2023 to a close, can we reflect on your year? What projects did you work on? What were they about? What challenges did you face?
4: Well, 2023 is proving to be a really exceptional year. I don't know if I will always be able to maintain it, but... Last year, I published two books in 2022, and this year, I already have seven books published in 2023, so it's been an incredible outpouring of writing, and it feels great. I feel like I know more about who I am, what I want to write about, what kinds of subject matter and scenes and characters I'm interested in because I am doing more of it, and that feels very gratifying. I'm also trying to experiment more and seek out different kinds of stories and storytelling. My book, Far From Olympus, combines erotica with Greek mythology. I did a novelette, which has some BDSM and kink in the piece, I collaborated with Jenna Citrus on doing some audio narration. I'm looking to see if I can collaborate with other people in terms of co-authoring some of our work or maybe transform some of my writing into screenplays. So it's just been really exciting. It's still definitely saturated with my interest in bisexuality or heteroflexibility, by curiosity not just because that's my own identity, but that seems to be something that others are also talking about more and more, which is wonderful. And there seems to be a growing interest of talking about and experiencing bisexuality. I think the main challenge that I've been facing is just managing my time. I've, all I want to do is write and write some more and write some more. But like a number of folks, I have other work that I have to do. I can't always devote an entire morning or an entire afternoon writing. So how to find the ability to focus and use the 45 minutes that I have in the morning before I need to go to work to get that creativity flowing. That's been a challenge at times, as well as to keep my mind on the job that I'm doing so that I don't get distracted because all I want to do is (laughs) go back to the erotic episodes and stories that um, are occupying my imagination. But these are These are really first-class problems, you know?
0: What were your main challenges this year, and how did you cope with them?
4: I think the biggest challenge for me in 2023 has been managing my time, because I love this writing. I love this work, and I have another active work life on top of my writing, which is not always predictable. It sometimes requires me to have longer hours than I maybe would like. So it's been challenging to keep the focus on my writing sometimes or devote as much time to it as I would prefer because of my so-called day job getting in the way. Or at the same time, focusing on my day job because my imagination just keeps going back to the erotic writing that I want to get back to. So that's, that's been interesting, how to find that thrill and that thriving freedom when I just have 45 minutes to do some writing before I have to go back to work.
0: We personally want to see more erotica fans and more writers next year. As authors, you've been endorsed as being among the genre's best. What advice would you give new aspiring writers?
4: Oh, that's a good question. I think the main advice I would give a writer who's just starting out and wants to pursue erotica is stay with your interest and your pleasure I think sometimes there's a ambition to just hack the code and find out how to make as much money as fast as possible I would suggest keeping the focus on the writing on what you want to say and what is most exciting arousing curious and interesting for you so that the fundamental ground on which you write is always based on the pleasure of storytelling.
0: What can we expect from you in 2024?
4: Yeah, 2024 I think is going to be an interesting year. I have three books that I'm definitely going to publish. One is a additional collection of erotic stories inspired by Greek mythology. The other one is a science fiction erotic piece, which I've been building and working on for some time. And another one is what I'm calling erotic queer history, which I'm also really, really excited about. I'm also continuing to write short stories, continuing to write book and film reviews for The Crush Letter, continuing to manage the Queer Erotic Content Creators Club, and to host interviews for The Pulse Sessions. So lots and lots of things in the works, which I'm really, really jazzed about.
0: Can we listen to an exclusive preview of something you're yet to release?
4: Sure. This is an excerpt from my upcoming book, Unknown Pleasures. It's a collection of three interrelated short stories that all take place in the early 1990s in the East Village of New York. I'm in the kitchen, clutching the bottle and still rummaging through Marnie's freezer when I feel the hair on the back of my neck start to stand up. Even before he said anything, some part of me sensed Randall had come up to stand right there behind me. Maybe his shadow fell against my skin, or maybe I noticed a change in the light. Regardless, my lizard brain clocked him at my six, and almost instantly, I felt my cock stiffen inside my black jeans. Jesus Christ, he says. Are you drinking Sambuca? I turn around to face the source of that rich, deep voice, taking my time, savoring it like I'm some magician revealing a big, fat trick. Once I've pivoted all the way around, I smile wide, like I know something he doesn't, and take my time finishing the pour. Tucking the bottle under my armpit, I sprinkle three fresh coffee beans onto the liquid inside my cup, each one going plunk, 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 that I can hear even above the screeching voice of Axel Rose coming from the other room. Finally finished, I do my best to act casual and hope that the performance of my body language is convincing enough to make him stay. Randall. Yes, it is, as a matter of fact, I say. For some reason, I'm speaking with some over-the-top British accent. Who am I trying to be now, Monty Python? Would you like some, young man? Yeah, sure, he shrugs. Whatever. As I grab a fresh cup for him, Randall looked around at the rest of the party, seeing who else was here, reviewing his choices, calculating his options. He had transferred into our acting program at the beginning of this semester, so by default, he was also an outsider. Heather and I had hung out with him a few times, usually down the block from the school's building's entrance towards Union Square, smoking. I told him I thought he was cool, trying to downplay how much of a crush I had on him. The little scraps of information I knew about Randall seemed to only add to the mysterious pull he had over me. I knew that he was originally from Chicago, though he came from another school outside of Illinois before transferring here to New York. He was black and Puerto Rican, with inquisitive brown eyes, close-cut hair, and a deliciously full mouth. He seemed to always dress in designer clothes, yet he never had enough money to buy his own smokes. He kept his muscular build mostly hidden beneath layers of long-sleeved shirts and hoodies, even when the heater was blasting during our movement classes. Privately, when it was just the two of us, Heather would wonder out loud if Randall was straight or gay. She would tease me with her speculation, letting the question just hang there between us in the air and the smoke. She saw right through my pose of indifference. She knew that I had a crush on Randall, same as she did. Somehow, we made it into a kind of game. Who was going to find out first which team he was playing on? Heather wasn't here at Marty's party, though. I was. So was Randall. Suddenly, I felt really good about being here tonight. Time to make my move.
0: Thanks for joining us.
4: My pleasure, great to speak with you.
0: You're listening to All the Filthy Details. (laughs) Let's see Christian at work bringing us compelling content such as this interview with Jenna Citrus.
4: Welcome, everybody, to the latest edition of The Pulse Session. Today, I'm here talking with the fantastic, the erotic, the multi-talented Jenna Citrus. Jenna, how are you doing today?
5: I'm doing most excellent, Christian. How about yourself?
4: Oh, man. I'm doing so well now that I'm talking with you. So (laughs) let's talk first about your... Current writing. I mean, you do so many different things. For those people listening to the podcast who don't know already, you have a OnlyFans page, you have merchandise, you have auto recordings. I want to start by talking about your writing first, though. You said said that you were working on some writing about your sex, love and relationships inside your real life. Can you tell me a little bit about that?
5: I am. Uh, So I've been in a long-term relationship for about eight years, and there's definitely been challenges, and we're kind of... I'll say we're on the polyamorous spectrum, but we're probably closer to monogamous, and there's been some... I guess just challenges throughout the relationship that most like things, things are good. Things are great. I, I love Brian and he's a good guy, but there have been things that have been harder and easier within the relationship. And I'm kind of just taking an outsider perspective and reflecting back on things that we've been through and k- kind of the struggles and the pros and cons. So yeah, we're working on that project. And I think I'm maybe 25, 30,000 words into it. So we'll, we'll see where it ends up. I don't, it, it's a, uh, It's kind of one of those works in progress where you're not sure where it is because you're in the middle of living it. (laughs) So hopefully there's no end to it. Uh, But yeah, we're, we're figuring it out.
4: It's such a vulnerable, risky thing to do to try to put your experience while it's happening into writing. Can you tell us a little bit more about what's some of the challenges of doing that as well as some of the discoveries?
5: I think one of the biggest vulnerabilities has been, there was this first chapter that really inspired it all. And it was just like, how could a person who used to be like obsessed and motivated and powered mostly by sex, which I'm referring to myself because I was very interested in sex and I never got diagnosed, but I was probably very close to being addicted to sex. And then all of that just slowly fell away throughout other relationships. And now I'm in a very like steady, healthy place with sex with Brian where I'm not very focused on sex and like days will pass. And I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot sex existed where it used to be my every driving thought of like, oh, where am I going to get my next sex fix type of thing? Mm. And now I'm just like, oh. So so, sort of the transitional process going through that and then also reflecting back on that of who was that person and who is this person now and that person wouldn't recognize that person.
4: (laughs) Right. And also I think what's so interesting from the larger conversation about erotic writing and also relationships in real life in general, is that there's so much emphasis on consent. And I'm curious, how is Brian fitting into this writing project? Do you share what you're writing with him? Do you talk about it in advance? I'm just curious, like, how this is something that you do for both yourself, but also for your relationship, this this writing, this kind of reportage.
5: He knows that I'm writing it and he knows that I write about him. And at this point I haven't edited it and it's very raw and vulnerable and I would be kind of nervous to just hand it over and be like, here you go. Here's the, uh, the Jenna's take on our relationship. Uh, so there might be some editing down and a little bit of censoring myself before it gets ready for, I guess I'll call it common distribution or commonplace reading. And one thing I've been doing is I have been writing about our relationship on my medium platform And I haven't been sending him links. So, I mean, he knows it's been happening and he knows it's out there and he could go find it should he choose to, but I'm not just like linking him every time I write an article about him.
4: Gotcha. You're also having these conversations with him. Like there may not be always the uh, necessity to share the link. Let's talk about a book that is available that you have written that's already available. Tell us about 10 Sexy Stories to Tell in the Dark. What's the background on that? And what's it about?
5: So it's some of my, I guess I'll call it favorite and highlighted um, sexual encounters throughout my life. Uh, They seem to be like the peaks of things of maybe like the first time I had sex with a certain partner or just something that felt really memorable about it. And sometimes there are little groupings, like I think there's at least one threesome and trying to remember if there's I think there is an orgy or two in there. I did, it's It's been a little while since I, I've read, read and written it but it kind of goes through and details my life and experiences that I've had but I have uh, eliminated the names although I know again Brian's in there and it's like hey here you go and I have sent links <laughs> to I think everyone that's in there just been like here's your little sex story you can have this for your yeah. uh, enjoyment. But
4: Well yeah. I, I think it was Guy New York who once said that erotic writing is fan fiction for yourself. Do you feel like these stories are really accurate descriptions or do you embellish and take some imaginative liberties or do you want readers to just figure it out?
5: On those, there were pretty much no liberties. It was kind of just like straight from real life minus changing names to protect the guilty. Gotcha. Uh, but I have been doing a new writing project that is a little bit of fan fiction about myself. So it's it's sort of like the other track. My mind could have gone down had things gone worse with Brian. <laughs> it, it feels really nice to sort of exploit and explore that side of myself because things are good with our relationship. But in this other story, this person's getting a divorce and it's like, hey, that's fun to just sort of dive down that rabbit hole for a little bit and explore what things could have been like on the other side.
4: I also want to add for some of our listeners who may not know you and your work that you are also a pretty accomplished photographer and visual artist. I mean, in 1060 Stories to Tell in the Dark, you also have a number of original photographs in there that you've taken. What is the relationship of your visual art in contrast with your writing?
5: So in that one and... I think one or two of my poetry books that I'd published before that, uh, I paired a poem or a sexy story with an image and the images in the 10 sexy stories to tell in the dark are a little bit more, uh, pornographic erotic in nature versus the other ones were a little more, uh, subtle, but still nude, uh, that paired with it. So I try to find, uh, things that either illustrate it, but I don't think in the 10 sexies to t- tell stories to tell in the dark, any of those images directly came from those experiences. So they were taken at a different time, but now going forward, I can kind of keep that in my mind of like, Hey, do I want to start having erotic experiences and finding artistic ways to pair images in that moment that could go with them? Yes. Uh, food for thought.
4: Yes. Well, that's, I think what's really, I find really Impressive and enjoyable about your work is that it seems like you're right on this edge between artistic aesthetics and erotic pornographic, sexy imagery. like what where is the line for you, or is that just something that you don't think about when you're making? You just you're just making stuff?
5: I think the line blurs uh, for a long time. It used to be like between the legs shots was kind of what I would consider pornographic but I could still make images with them that were like really beautifully artistic so I to to answer your question I don't really know it just kind of blurs and I think porn can be done artistically and it can also be done in a porn style as well and even just normal bathing suit images uh, to uh, to not not to hate on the entire glamour genre but I've seen some things that just look so much like porn but the model is wearing a swimsuit I'm like man please don't make me look like that so that's Oh, that's a a rough line, Christian.
4: I wish we had more time to talk with you, but I'm so grateful we had a few minutes to learn a little bit more about your work, what you're working on, what's already out there. Jenna Citrus, thank you so much. And folks that want to know more about her and her writing and her OnlyFans and more, check out the links in the show notes.
5: Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure.
4: Hello, and welcome to Pulse Session. My name is Christian Pan, and I'm delighted to be here with Isadora Obodo to talk about her project, My Horizontal Life. Welcome, Isadora. How are you?
3: Thanks, Christian. I'm good. I'm so happy you invited
4: me. It's a pleasure to talk with you for a little bit. I know a little bit about you through your book, My Horizontal Life, but maybe you can give us like a little bit of a pitch. What what is this book if you were to tell someone who knows nothing about you or nothing about it?
3: Yeah, so My Horizontal Life is the book about, it's it's the first six months uh, when I got out of Juilliard and was overwhelmed by debt and a lot of other things and became an escort thinking I would only do it for a minute and that was the first six months of it and kind of my adventure becoming an escort and finding that it was a place for love, uh, surprisingly, and intimacy and connection. And so, yeah, it was quite a discovery to learn that it wasn't a business just about sex, but it was a business about compassion and love. It was very confusing because I had the same uh, things in my head that people do about prostitution. I was so scared and so ashamed. And uh, so when when I found it as something different, I thought, this is pretty good. (laughs) Book is about my discovery about finding something different in a business that I thought was going to be pretty scary and awful
4: you're now transforming that into a one-person show, which is performing in Chicago this September. Tell us a little bit about how you made that decision to take this book and make it into a theatrical performance.
3: Well, yeah, thanks for asking. (laughs) Um, The book is not exactly the play. So the play I've been working on since I was a baby, baby child. (laughs) And it's taken all sorts of transformations. At first, it was a 13-character play of all different women. And then it became something else and then something else. And finally, in the past five years, a little before COVID, I started to really write it in my writing groups. I found that people were really interested in what happened after that first book. So the play itself that encompasses... What would happen if I wrote the rest of the book series? So that's about five more books. Mm. So the book that you read, which is the My Horizontal Life, would be the first maybe two scenes in the play. And the play goes all the way much further in time. Then we had COVID. And then I thought, I'm getting old now. Really, if I'm going to do this play,
6: Mm.
3: just do it. And I've been such a perfectionist. You know, I can only turn out a book every couple of years. And so anyways, I'm such a perfectionist. And I I thought if I'm going to do this play, I better get down and do it. So it took me about another year and a half to get to this script. Really proud of this script. It's really, I think, the best thing I've written for myself.
4: Was there any moment that was challenging in terms of making the script now? You said you started doing this around covid which i think for many people was a reminder of how urgent life can be to do the things that you really want to do now what was the most challenging aspect of making the script for you when you're going through that process
3: you know because i know the story and every moment to me that i picked to put into that story was important for a reason when it came down to creating a show that can only be like an hour or an hour and a half or you know within a time frame I had to really get scalpel-like and say, this can go, this can go. And I had to like cut away things, details that I thought, no, that needs to be there. But uh, luckily I have like Aubin, who you know, Aubin Philippa, who's amazing. And she was by my side and would say things like, it can go in the book. It just can't go in the play. Yeah, But you don't have to throw it away. You can yeah. keep it. Um, and I had people in my writing group that would say things like that, too. They would say, mm-hmm. I want the story, but maybe a different show or maybe a different place. And that's how I was able to sort of let go. And when it finally started honing in, it really felt like laser sharp and it was moving. And then I thought, oh, now I could cut. Yeah. Now I see where it's going. But that I think it was a challenge to cut away because originally it was like three and a half hours.
4: Oh <laughs> like, wow. Nobody's
3: going to sit down. So we're going to have to pee. Somebody's yes. going to have to get up and pee. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Like any theatrical production, um, before or after COVID, there's all the fundraising that needs to happen for assembling your artistic team. You need to book rehearsal space, you need to get a performance venue. But your project has also had the added challenge of how do you advertise a show in 2023 that's about sex and prostitution and sex work? Like, tell us about Some of those challenges that you've had to overcome and how you did it.
3: Yeah, I mean, you write erotica. So I'm sure you know some of these challenges. I know Amazon will kick you off of their advertising and you write actual erotica, minus a memoir with erotic elements in it. But the title of the show, My Horizontal Life, you know, spelled W H O R, you know, that triggers all the bots. And even people are like, "Mm, I don't know if I want to see this because they don't know that it's nothing, it's not much to do about sex, actually. You know, it's about something else. So we couldn't put the poster on Facebook because they would take it down. Uh, So we we created a different little poster that said, here's a solo show that you're not supposed to know about, you know? (laughs) And we couldn't, uh, we created, I created my Steffi Haven Facebook and then had my book and they, Facebook took it down. So I wasn't allowed to have that. Anything to do with any kind of sex, which is really weird. So, yeah, so it's been a real challenge to get the word out. Once we got the campaign into onto uh, Indiegogo and onto Fractured Atlas, then we could point people places, and then they could see it there. And now the poster itself is on the website of the Greenhouse Theater, which is the one in Chicago that will be playing it. Right. So we can point people there. Tell us, is there
4: anything you want us to know about the show? Like, how can people see it? Are you going to have only live performances? Will there be live streams? Tell us.
3: Well, it's such a good question, Kristen, because I we had to do the campaign, as you said, and to raise money, and we did raise quite a bit. We're still about ten thousand short, unfortunately, which may affect our set. You know, we may have to go more minimal on that. There's there's things that may affect, but because we are filming it, we wanted it to be everything that it could be in in the film. So that's going to be September 19th through the 23rd at the Greenhouse Theater in Chicago. The first two nights, which is the 19th and the 20th, if people wanted to go, they would need to just go onto our website, which is myhorizontalife.com. And this may be the one and only theatrical time, unless some theater picks it up.
4: Yeah. Well, all the more reason for people to go to Chicago this September, nineteenth through the 23rd and see... My Horizontal Life with Isadora Oboto. Thank you so much for giving us uh, some of your time. We'll put the links into our show notes and um, people can find more about you and My Horizontal Life there. Thank you so much. Thank
3: you, this was fun. So good to talk to you. So good to talk to you too.
4: Pulse Session. I'm here with Simone de Boudoir, the multi-talented artist who works across writing, photography, and video. Simone, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Thanks
2: so much for having me. I've been looking forward to this.
4: Me too. You work with a lot of different media at the same time. Can you tell me how talented you are and what, what are the pros and cons of working with all these different media at the same time?
2: I don't know how talented I am. I think that's still up for debate, but uh, some pros and cons, the pros of working. So I work with, as you said, I write erotica and I like to add little uh, videos and some sort of boudoir photo shoots to the, the stories I wrote. Some of the pros, the main pro is that I like doing it. It's just something that I, I want to do and that I like do it. Um, for the, the reader, I hope the pro is that it uh, it builds out the world a little bit. When I first started writing erotica, which was only about a year or so ago, I'm pretty new, I was writing a story about a, a stripper, a vampire stripper, in fact. And uh, I'm sort of a, a, an exhibitionist. I call myself an artsy exhibitionist. Um, so I wanted to add some, uh, some stripteases, some little, some little videos of stripteases and, and that goes well with video or with, um, photos. So, you know, if I'm all dolled up, I might as well take some photos.
4: Absolutely. So those
2: are, yeah, kind of why not is the main answer, the main pro, um, cons, it might take a little longer to get everything together rather than just posting a story. If I, if I do want to add these videos or photos, it's just an extra thing to do.
4: Absolutely. I find it so, it really brings me more into your world, like with that vampire stripper story you mentioned with blood on her lips. It's just like, it creates this like, fully realized mood because i get to read the chapters but then i can see pictures that are related to the story that you're telling uh readers can go into like a kind of private room to get like a video lap dance with the character i mean i just feel like mm-hmm. it's so inventive so between the vampire strippers and the the nuns who are having sex with god i mean is all of your work autobiographical, or where do you get these, like where do you get these ideas from simone
2: autobiographical in the sense that this is these some of these characters are who I am in my in my fantasies. I don't know if I've lived all these lives. But I, you know, uh, I've never actually been a stripper, but I feel like it was my true calling I never got to do. Uh, as for nuns, I was never a nun. I've never even really been religious, but I had a period of my life, I grew up a little repressed and then I was in a bad marriage. I'm out of that now. But I, I had a, some moments that were sort of nunnish. And yeah, so when when some of my characters sort of rediscover themselves or uh, find joy through sexual expression, that's that part's a little autobiographical. Yeah.
4: Yeah. And I, in all seriousness, I can really identify with the erotic art being a kind of, um, I don't want to say it's therapy, but I think it's therapeutic as a way of being more fully expressive and really becoming in touch with parts of ourselves that maybe were dormant or not fully realized. You said that you started about a year ago. Was there something, um, specific that kind of Pushed you over to that next step into sharing your work with the world.
2: Part of it, honestly, was that I was unemployed and just had some time. So this is all. This has all kind of been part of a career sort of life reset. I've been. I used to work in DC. I was doing the like nonprofit thing, and it just wasn't working out. So I, I, yeah, I've been sort of trying to do this this career reset, which you know at age. 40 is is a whole thing. But I'm in a lucky enough position that I can kind of try some some of my more some things I'm more passionate about and artsy about.
4: Absolutely. Absolutely. It's never too late. I see that in addition to your erotic photography and writing, you also have this music video review uh YouTube channel. Can you (laughs) tell tell me more about that? Like that just sounds like another branch within your creativity.
2: Yeah, thanks. No, it's a podcast I co-host with my part with my um, my partner Austin, and I go by Lisa on that podcast. Just incidentally, Um, it's called Music Videos Are Art A R E A R T. And we, uh, my partner and I, we really just love music videos, and the the podcast treats them as these underappreciated little forms of art. They're little like Hmm. three to four minutes pieces of art, and like a lot of work goes into them. So it's, and I love music and I love music videos. So, uh, and, and as you said, I like multimedia stuff and music videos, definitely on multimedia. So yeah, it's just about appreciating some videos that we like.
4: Fantastic. Is there one recent music video that you've had on your show that you feel like needs to get more attention? That you feel like folks need to be more aware of? Ooh,
2: good question. Um, recent. You know who does some good music videos, who has been doing good music videos recently is an artist uh, called Chapel Roan or Chapelle hmm.
4: Uh
2: She does some great little poppy music videos. They're real fun. I'd recommend her.
4: All right. Going to check that out. You also write a mental health blog, which I think is really important and wonderful. Can you tell me a little bit Thank about you. the origins of writing that and what you're wanting to do with it?
2: Yeah, well, it's exactly what you said. Uh, Writing is therapy, right? So, uh, and this is the blog, the mental health blog is something I need to get back to. I've I've only posted a couple of things there. Um, But, you know, I have these moments where I have all these feelings. um, I hope I'm hiding it well, but I'm not always like a great speaker, a great great talker. So sometimes Mm -hmm. just like getting on the computer and just like, blah, 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 like word vomiting, I'm um, having a little therapy session kind of with myself. I'm also in real therapy. I have a therapist. But yeah, uh, just sort of having a therapy session with myself through the the written word has been therapeutic and I recommend it to anyone.
4: What do you have coming up? What do you, What's something that you want us all to know that you're making right now or you want us to uh, be sure that we yeah. keep an eye out for it?
2: Yeah, no, thanks for this opportunity to share some things. Um, I've got more nun stories coming. Um, there should be, so Wasted Nun is the first one. Part one and two are up on Medium. Uh, I've got parts three and four coming out. I've got a story on Dark Bambi coming out. Mm. These are all going to be erotic stories, incidentally. Yeah. Um and I've got some, some Sex in the City fanfic about Charlotte coming out.
4: Yeah, fantastic. Yeah,
2: she gets a little dirty.
4: Oh, even more so than uh, the show. Yeah. <laughs>
2: even more so, yeah. Yeah, she, she dips into a, an MM, MMF threesome.
4: Fan. Our fan. good girl, Charlotte. Fantastic. Be sure to follow Simone du Boudoir on all of her links. Find out what is coming out of that delightfully filthy, erotic imagination of hers. Simone, thank you so much for giving us some of your time and enjoy the rest of your day.
2: Thank you. Can I plug one more thing?
4: Yes, please.
2: Uh, I also started making uh, candles. They're edible massage oil candles. They're made with only food grade materials and uh, they're called Licks, L-A-X candles. And I'm on Etsy.
4: Thank you so much. I think I need to order some of these candles before they run in. Yeah,
2: I'll send you a link.
4: (laughs) Thank you so much.
2: Yeah. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the time.
4: Here with Katherine Hiller, the author of Sybil Unbound, one of my favorite books that I've been able to read. And I am speaking with the author for this month's Pulse Session. Katherine, how are you doing today?
7: I'm
4: fine. Thanks, Christian. Your book starts with 42 year old Sybil getting a divorce and then following her erotic adventures for the following three decades. Why are the needs and desires of middle-aged and older women so often ignored in fiction?
7: Well, I think there are a number of reasons for that, Christian. Um, when you have a romantic relationship when you're very young, it can lead to marriage and children, and it has a certain kind of consequence for your whole life. When you have a passion in middle age... It affects you in the here and now. Of course, that's what can make the passion all the stronger, that you're not having these other ulterior considerations, you know, clouding the picture. It's just how much love and how much desire do you feel for each other? So I think that's the great joy of writing about middle-aged romance.
4: Absolutely. And I think what one of my favorite parts from your book is how we get to go along the journey of discovery with Sybil, from mm-hmm. going to Burning Man, to dating younger men, to questioning adultery and polyamory. Do you think there's a expectation that women follow a more conventional path, particularly when they get older?
7: Oh, absolutely. There is this idea, first of all, that an older woman should not have these sexual and passionate you know, urges that if you feel that way after 50, 60, 70, you know, you're, you're just a sort of perverted old crone. And of course, the poor guy who has these sexual urges, and I assure you that many people I know in their 70s do, they are considered dirty old men. And this is this terribly ageist concept we have that only the young and the beautiful are entitled to sex. That's just crazy. We have passionate desires till the day we die.
4: Absolutely. And I think there's the famous saying of youth is wasted on the young. Do you feel like people or women in particular um, evolve and change their relationships, their relationship to intimacy, to sex, to desire as they get older? And if so, how?
7: Well, I think I hope that we all change a bit as we get older, as we get More experience as we get comfortable in our skins, as we know what we like, as we know how to guess what someone else might like. So I think that, you know, the mature woman or the mature man is perfectly capable of of being a wonderful lover.
4: For sure. A big part of the book's themes seems to be about thinking about different kinds of relationship structures, whether it's an open marriage, there's a kind of subplot about being an apologist for adultery. And just questioning these kinds of um, ways that men and women relate to one another in America today, can you talk a little bit about why you think monogamy fails so many couples and what are some possible alternatives?
7: Wow, that's a huge question, Christian. But there's, there's some indication that in our past when we were hunter-gatherers, we did not have monogamous structures. It was more like casual sex, casual eating. Everyone took care of the kids. So before agriculture, it's quite possible that humans who look like us and so on and just did not attach exclusivity to the sexual act. So that might be part of our nature. Other things are that, that we live a long time. And if we're lucky, we're going to be married a long time. I, for instance, am in a second marriage, which is already 24 years old, mm. right? My first marriage was 23 years old. And there was a gap in between, believe it or not. So we're all experiencing these longer relationships. And many people are saying that, you know, to expect 100% sexual fidelity from your partner may be expecting too much. Mm -hmm. And there are ways that we can be completely loyal to and tender of and respectful of your primary partner. And still, maybe if you fall in love, you might have the occasional fling. And there is a sex columnist, I'm sure you know, Dan Savage. Who has popularized the term monogamish. And (laughs) I kind of love that because it's saying, (laughs) yeah, we love each other and we live together and our futures are together. But, you know, maybe someone else might come along.
4: For sure. Sure For sure. No, Dan Savage is fantastic. I remember first reading his column when I came to New York over 30 years ago in the village voice. And it's just, um, he has such practical, insightful down to earth advice. He's great. Um, absolutely. Yeah. One final question. Um, on the cover, there's a couple full of body paint is one of those people you
7: well, part of that person is me. Yes. My husband, Mark, and I uh, volunteered to get our bodies painted. We knew someone who knew the artist, Andy Golub. And so we got painted. And of course, like anything else a writer does, she writes about it. So this was published in Huffington Post. And when my publisher saw it, she says, oh, I want that for the cover of your book, Sybil Unbound. And I said, well, yeah, except for not my face. That's I am not Sybil. You cannot do that. So, we photoshopped another face, but you get my arms, you get some of my legs, and that handsome dude is indeed my husband.
4: Fantastic. The book is called Sybil Unbound. It's available everywhere. We'll put the details in the show notes so you can get your own copy. It's fantastic. I've been talking here with Catherine Hiller. Catherine, thank you so much for your time and for just being a wonderful example of how to live fully and write about it with. Insight and humor.
7: Thanks so much, Christian. I've really enjoyed this little tour.
4: Thank you so much. Okay, welcome everybody to the next edition of The Pulse Session. I'm Christian Pan, and I am here today with the talented and diverse writer of erotica and nonfiction. Tammy Jo Eckert. Hello, Tammy Jo. How are you?
8: Hello, Christian. Hello, everyone.
4: Um, Your novel, Day on Tonight, is a vampire story, but it's also so much more. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're hoping to achieve with this book?
8: I wanted to combine two popular types of vampire stories into one, the romantic feeling creature, you know, not necessarily one that sparkles in the sunlight and angst all the time, but the romantic hero, but then also the monstrous vampire. And then this particular collection of stories that turned into a novel grew out of a challenge I had because I wanted to explore Sumerian culture and mythos and see how vampires from that period might develop over centuries. So the entire thing also turned into an experimentation in storytelling for me. Because it's told in a um, a fix-up style, and for people who don't know what that is, that's when you have interconnected short stories that all tell one bigger story. Yeah. So you can enjoy the book in two ways, right? As individual short stories, so you can like look at the chapters as individual short stories, or you can see them as a collective whole because there's this interconnected story that weaves between them.
4: That's right, and I I love that I love that part of the book, and also how It's this large ensemble cast of characters that recur. Sometimes some characters are really prominent in the story while others are in the background, and then others, it flips where those are in the background so that they come in the spotlight, so to speak, for another chapter. But the blending of different historical periods over time with fictional events is really exciting. Can you tell me about the process of combining those real events with your fiction, and what was the motivation to do that with this story?
8: Well, I actually have a doctorate in ancient history, and that covers everywhere from the western side of the Roman Empire to ancient Persia, so in terms of the geographical spread east to west, but also goes from about the Danube region down to the southern parts of Egypt. So it's a, a huge area that I've studied and written in in the past. and. What I, so that that part of the research, right, the historical research was easy for me because I knew where to go, I knew the sources to look at, and I knew how to evaluate them. But I wanted to try to figure out where does the story of the vampire come from? Because it seems to be very global. And the earliest mention I could find of anything that resembled vampires is in Akkadian or Sumerian. Mm. So I said, okay, well, if they have this word that all experts agree means a vampire-like creature, why would they have this? How would they get vampires? And then how would they develop over time? So that was really my motivation that inspired me to do that. And then the other part was, as I was working on the stories, I just kind of looked at other things I was reading and let them inspire me. And if something I was reading made me think, oh, what if a vampire was related to this? Then I do more research. A good example of this is the story Lost in Translation, which is one of my male-male stories in the collection. I was reading a book about surfer culture, the history of surfer culture. And I said, well, what if a surfer dude met a really old vampire? How would that look? What would happen? And so I kind of like, you know, pepper, kind of like I do the Acadian terms, I would pepper the surfer language in and out. I would never claim to be an expert in the surfer culture or anything like that. Um, But that's, that's kind of how it worked for me.
4: Yeah, no, I love it. And I love the range of erotic and gendered couplings in the book. I'm not sure how to describe it actually, because there's so many different dynamics between the humans, the vampires, and also really getting deep into vampire culture and how they have people that are servants, some that are turned, some that are the offspring of the original vampire. But also there's same-sex couplings, there's opposite-sex couplings, there's different ways of um, the vampires having relationships of power. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
8: I really wanted to explore how could you, if you were a vampire, maintain this sense of humanity? And I thought, how do we maintain our sense of humanity well it's through feeling empathy and sympathy with other people so within this hierarchy that i created who would they have those sorts of relationships with well probably not their food supply so it would have to be their blood-bound servant and it's i would also think it'd be very rare because they are by nature's monsters and so you know i just kind of looked into that how would these relationships develop how would they work and they are by their very nature hierarchical. You know, the vampire gives their blood to someone and that forces them to obey them. So there's, there's no choice in that situation, even if it goes counter to what you may want to do. And so just kind of figuring out how would that work? How would they connect? And it, it was, it could be frustrating at times, um, but I do a lot of talking to people about their sexuality and their relationships. So I tried to let that inform things that I didn't myself maybe know about firsthand.
4: Yeah, great. And I, I guess that's like a good segue into beyond Day on tonight because I am familiar with some of your other writings that you have both in your fiction and your nonfiction, these recurring stories about female dominance and male submissives. Can you talk about what are some of the misperceptions of that dynamic in a femdom relationship as you see it and why do you feel like it's so important for readers to know more about it particularly in erotic fiction
8: I think a lot of femdom relationships are viewed through this pornographic lens so where you have someone who's dressed in latex or leather very sexy high heels often bizarrely with a choker or a collar on which by the way you would never see a male dominant having on and We usually don't have pornography about heterosexual male dominance either. It's usually gay men who have that pornography, lesbian or pseudo lesbian pornography, you know, depending on how you want to look at who's producing it. And then the femdom with the male sub, and for people who can't see, I'm putting air quotes around that. Because when you think about the pornographic image really isn't about her being in control. It's really about her fulfilling a fantasy. So in a sense that just reinforces the patriarchal notion that women are on earth to please men and to cater to them. I have to tell you, I have never met a real life 24 seven femdom who dressed like that 24 <laughs> seven, who, you know, insulted their partners and belittled them 24 seven. Not even the ones who are like pro li- pro-doms in their professional lives. If they do this, it's part of their sexuality and their love language that's not how they live 24 seven because you you simply couldn't. I mean, if someone put you down all the time, even if that's a turn on in the moment, it would just become mundane and boring after a while. So that's what I think a lot of people get wrong about the femdom relationship is they have this idea of what it should be. And it's nothing like that. Or as I tell po- Um, potential submissives, what I am is far scarier than what you can possibly imagine in (laughs) pornography because I'm real.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. Well, uh, listeners, check out the show notes for this podcast episode to get all the information about Dan tonight and Tammy Jo's other writing, including the one she just mentioned. Uh, Tammy Jo, thank you so much for your time. Always great to see and talk with you. So much. I'm glad you like the book. Absolutely. Hello, everybody. This is Christian Pan for another edition of The Pulse Session, where I get to talk with some of the most exciting and creative people working within the erotic imagination that I can find. Today we're here with Tori Ross, who's a writer and a podcaster and much, much more. Tori, how are you doing today?
6: I'm great. How are you today?
4: I'm actually doing pretty well, thanks. Thanks for asking. First of all, congratulations on your book, The Cuffing Seasons Contract, winning the National Indie Excellence Award in Romantic Comedy. Can you tell us all a little bit about that book?
6: Uh, Yeah, so The Cuffing Season Contract was kind of my first bout of... Writer's block. It was the first book that I struggled with to actually get it done. It was a totally unexpected thing to win the National Indie Excellence Award for Romantic Comedy. I had entered the book into a few contests and was shut out of all of them. I mean, not even making finalists. I don't know about you, and I don't know about other writers out there that may be listening, but I suffer from very intense imposter syndrome. And I think the award, when it hasn't been this magic bullet for sales. And and people had told me that was going to happen. You know, it's not going to sell a million books. But it has greatly increased my confidence. Um, I tend to write outside the box sometimes. I don't necessarily fit the mold. So just winning the award showed me that my work is creative and appreciated. And that was like the kick in my pants, so to speak, so that I could actually just kind of dig in and write what I want to write.
4: Yes. I think. I think a lot of writers, I know myself included, can relate to that sense of imposter syndrome and right. that sense of um, comparing our, our sense of ourselves as a writer to what we perceive the are the accomplishments and the sales of other people. Um, right. And I'm glad that you are finding ways to just focus on writing what you want to write. You seem to have a real gift at doing everything from steamy romance to hot erotica. What is right. the? Why is that your field of interest? Why is that subject, what you want to write today, and why is that important?
6: Well, you know, I think uh, with writing steamy romance and kind of putting a little bit of erotica into the book um, and then making it a romantic comedy, all of those things, I think it's an emotional thing. And I don't know how other writers see this, but I feel like when I write a book, I want it to be emotional and I want there to be a very broad range of emotions. Hmm. So when people read a book, depending on genre, let's say they like horror, for example, I'm just going to pick on horror (laughs) right now. Why not? Um, You you read it because you want to be horrified. You want to be scared. You want to feel something. I mean, they don't want to be butchered to death in real life. They want to have that fear And I think with romantic comedy mixed with a little bit of erotic scenarios in there, um, that humor kind of goes hand in hand for people that want to feel a broad range of emotions when they pick up a book. You know, life isn't always roses. We have er erotic moments in life. I know you write about them. Uh, We have funny moments in life. We have sad moments. And I think people like to read about all of those feelings kind of combined along with something that they just want to read
4: and it's dirty. Yeah. And I think I often wonder if because we're spending more and more of our daily lives as a society on screens and burying our faces into our phones, if that's one of the reasons why there's such a explosion of indie erotic writers and self-published erotic and romance writers, because we want stories of that uh, human connection, that right sensuality that heat that skin on skin
6: we want to laugh while we do it sometimes too yeah sex doesn't always have to be so serious and I'm a very funny person in real life funny things happen to me and you know I just I like being funny (laughs) and I think you can be funny and erotic and have a sexual story to tell all at the same time
4: absolutely that's one of the things I love about your writing Um, is that it does have that humor and it does have that sensuality all combined into one fiction, into one story. You also wrote a nonfiction book called Confessions Mm -hmm. of a Reluctant Erotica Writer. Um, For those that don't know what that's about, can you tell us not only what that book is, but what inspired you to write it?
6: Oh, gosh. So Confessions of a Reluctant Erotica Writer was kind of a brainchild that you know how you get those thoughts in the middle of the day like I should write this and you know you think it's a good idea at the time and then later on you're like oh I don't know if I should have done that (laughs) (laughs) I have such a love hate relationship with this book and and you even know it you know we we've discussed oh I don't know if I want to put this out in the world and I kind of went back and forth on it Uh, Confessions of a Reluctant Erotica Writer is basically my story. I write romance under Tori Ross, but I also have three erotica pen names that do better than my romance. Mm. And it was so frustrating to me that I put so much effort into my romance. And I put so much marketing into my romance that I couldn't sell my romance for a while. And I needed some money. I was off work. I needed some money and I started writing erotica and it took off. And so this nonfiction book is my story about how I got started writing erotica, how much I enjoy writing erotica, which really surprised me. I'm also honest with my friends that I write erotica. I don't tell them my pen name, uh, (laughs) but I'm very honest with what I write. And just some of the interactions that I've had with people over the first year of writing erotica that is in the book. And to be honest with you, a lot of people were asking me, What's the secret to this? How can I get involved in this? And I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna write it. I'm gonna have fun with it. And I'm gonna write it.
4: Right on. Yeah, I think that's really refreshing because I think sometimes there's a lot of generalities about this is how you do it to be a successful erotic writer of any any style, any genre, any interest, any readership. And I appreciate that you have a book that's not a one size fits all, but is really getting specific about well, here's what I did. Here's what my experience is. And um, then people can see um, how that can relate to their own ambitions or their own experiences as well. Uh, You
6: know, I was very honest in this book. It is such an honest, raw, and maybe that's why I stopped and said, I don't know if I want to publish it. Um, Eventually, I was encouraged by Selena Moore and a few other erotica authors. um, And they said, this is amazing. You just need to publish it. This is so on. Just it's just everything in it. You're spitting the truth, and I, you know one thing. I did focus on in that book was how hard it is. How it is crushing work. It is constant volume. It is imposter syndrome. We keep going back to that, um, and just building a backlist and having this business mentality. And I don't think people realize it.
4: Yeah everybody listening check out tori ross she's got a lot to offer from her steamy romance her erotica her podcast her upcoming books tori thank you so much for your time
6: thanks so much for having me
4: absolutely
0: you're
2: listening to all the filthy details
0: (laughs) we'd like to thank you the listeners for supporting us in 2023 christian pan and the rest of our team We have another episode to come before the year is up. Please join us for that one. And of course, find us on Patreon. See you soon. Stay safe, people.